0: everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. This is session number 180, number 56 of the Council of Elrond, uh, which uh, I'm beginning to think is going to take us all the way from before through until after the pandemic. And what better way to spend a pandemic than studying the Council of Elrond? Um, so, uh, I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a good excuse for being late today. I was totally, got, okay, I probably wasn't going to be exactly on time, but I was going to be closer to on time tonight, but, um, then I got the opportunity to read "Arendelle Was a Mariner with my son, uh, so he had never heard the poem before, so I read it to him, and it was, uh, uh, and I have no regrets, so that was fun, um. And then he had questions, and all things considered you guys will understand better than anybody else how incredibly efficient I was to only be as late as I am um, but anyway uh, let 's uh let us get back into things but I before we start before we get back to the text tonight, I have a very important announcement to make um, that i um, uh, that I have been Saying was coming, and I am prepared to make the announcement tonight. And is the announcement about Mythmoot? Um, I am delighted to announce that this year we will be holding Mythmoot in person. We're going to do a hybrid Mythmoot experience this year. I hasten to emphasize that it means that we're going to be. Doing a fully digital version as well, so uh, people who can't make it in person for whatever reason are still going to be able to uh, uh, to participate on both of the two levels that we've been announcing that i've been describing our mootcast level where you get access to the live sessions but also to the archived recording of the sessions but none of the like in between stuff like less of the socializing just the sessions um, as I say that's primarily designed for people who really can't be there synchronously, you know, who, uh, but who want to make sure they don't miss stuff. Um, so that's the moot cast level. The moot hub level is for people who are really able to be there for the whole weekend. They can't be there in person, but they want to be there digitally, um, uh, in person the whole time. So, um, that's, um, that's, 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 the two options that we've had those will still happen and we're going to be working very hard to make this a genuinely hybrid experience this year so that we'll have we'll have you know a bunch of people who uh, a bunch of us I should say I'm definitely coming are going to be there in person um, and that's going to be an awesome opportunity and um, we uh, but of course we're, we're still going to be making every effort uh, to include everybody else <clears throat> who can't be there we really want to make it as inclusive as possible last year you You know, Mythmoot was an adventure. Um, You know, we were experimenting with how to do a digital moot that's going to be really immersive and really involved in that way. And I felt that it worked out really, really well. This year, the new challenge is going to be how to do this kind of a hybrid moot um, that's going to be equally successful and equally engaging. And um, we're um, uh, we're we're. Gonna be uh, excited to embrace that challenge too. So, uh, anyway, so that is definitely happening now. I know immediately the question I saw was asked already um, uh, in the text chat. There um, is the is that registration option available? Um, when will the registration options be updated? We haven't updated them yet because uh, we are um, we're st- we still we still have to confirm. We're talking to the venue, basically, uh, and uh, we still have to confirm their pricing. We've been waiting, as you know, as I've told you before. We've been waiting until now. We just made this decision finally. Uh, you know, we, we, that is, we, we made the final decision, is what I mean to say, yesterday. Um, so this is <clears throat> this is brand new. And just as of today, we've been uh, kind of renegotiating with our venue down there, the National Conference Center. Uh, we have to confirm that their pricing hasn't changed very significantly. I don't think it has. So I think the pricing will be very similar to what it's been in the past. Um, but until we have like final confirmation of everything, we can't, of course, post uh, that there will be uh, there will be an upgrade. Um uh, an upgrade option. So for those of you who have already enrolled, who have been uh, enrolled in, in Mood Hub, we will certainly... And you want to upgrade, you want to be able to come in person, we will certainly count a, you know, that registration you already have towards... We'll have an upgrade option, basically. That will certainly occur. Um, and... Um, we will uh, uh, be, um, uh, and there will be, of course, just a, a from scratch in-person option uh, for, people to, uh, f- for people to do. And D-May can come. Fantastic, D-May. I was hoping you would be able to come. Oh, and and uh, 12 says it'll be his first in-person moot. Excellent. You know, I, I know that, like, you know... You're not supposed to say, like, see, the pandemic is almost over because we're supposed to still be careful. And, and I understand all that. You know, I'm not trying to downplay any of that stuff. But I got to tell you, for myself, going back to real in-person moots is like, you know, I, I, for me, on, in a really significant way, the pandemic will be over as soon as I'm back in moots with you guys. Like to me, that's the number one thing. Like it's been the number one thing. Um, so I am, um, uh, I am I am really really excited about that, <clears throat> and I'm, um, I'm delighted at how this worked out. You know, I have to admit when I. Originally said, and, this, and I don't know when I started talking about this, maybe December or something, saying like, well, you know, in uh, uh, by the end of March, we're going to make a decision on, as to whether or not we're going to do. It. And at that point, it seemed like kind of a Hail Mary, didn't it? I mean, I have to admit that when I said we're going to wait and see how things look then and then we'll make a final decision, I was kind of, um, I was kind of making a, a leap of faith, almost, uh, because I did not really in my heart believe, uh, you know, I didn't know, you know, how much more we were going to know, you know, I kind of said like, well, you know, we'll give it as long as we can to see how circumstances change and, uh, you know, how things might look different then. But I don't know if I really believed that it was going to (laughs) change as much as it has. Um, but it's been, it's been really good. Um, I, um, in... In related news, not directly related news, but in indirectly related news, I wanted to share, I got my vaccine today, my first vaccine, I got my shot today, Um, which means, footnote, by the way, I just got my first vaccine about seven hours ago, uh, so they're they're saying, I'm sure everything will be fine, but... um, if uh, I start to fade a little bit uh, in the next few hours, there is a, a non-zero chance I might need to uh, call it a little bit early tonight. Uh, but probably I will be okay. But if it looks like, <laughs> if it looks like I am starting to to sway and threaten to fall over, I should probably stop class early tonight. But um, uh, I got the uh, uh, the Pfizer uh, Bruin, and is the, the Pfizer is what they is is, is what they gave me. Um, so uh, yeah, so I got my first today. And, and you know, it's, I, I say this is, you know, related news because it was one of the things that we've been tracking. You know, one of the things that I've been concerned about. Again, two months ago, I did not really expect that we would be able to be confident that the vaccines were going to be sufficiently wide, widely available to feel really for it to really make a difference as far as planning things like myth mode. Um but uh, but I've been pleased. I've been I've been very impressed uh, with how things have accelerated, um, and uh, I am uh, so so yeah. I, I, I and it's funny my uh, my my wife uh, my wife's a physician and and she um, I asked her I said how will I know when, you know, like, how how can I gauge when the vaccine is like widely available? Uh, you know, how can I know when that time has come? And she said, when you can get it, (laughs) because I'm in one of the very, very last groups of people, uh, to qualify to get it. Um, and I was, you know, determined not to jump the queue or find an excuse. Uh, you know, I wanted to wait my turn, uh, uh, diligently. Um, but, um, Anyway, uh, so so I was like so anyway so it, it it was and it was funny because just I had already been inclining in this direction after you know talking with a bunch of people and and uh, you know. Uh, noticing the you know news that comes out and you know, it's been coming out of virginia they've been uh um they just like the governor just last week released a, a new decree basically easing the restrictions on gatherings in virginia which is where mythmoot's located and that seemed a, a very good sign in the context of everything else we were talking about and everything um so um Anyway, so I'd already been leaning in that direction. And then just over this past uh, weekend, the news broke that I would qualify to get the vaccine this week uh, in New Hampshire here. So uh, I was like, well, all right, then there 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 we are <laughs> um so anyway that's um i'm so i am i am excited again obviously no pressure you know i don't want anybody to feel uh you know we're trying to do we want to do everything we can to make sure that nobody feels left behind i know that there will be still people for, you know who can't travel i know international travel is still very difficult so i know many people often come you know from other countries to Mithmoot and i know that's going to be a lot harder this year um I know that travel is just still going to be difficult for many people. I know that there'll be some people who are still not going to be, you know, comfortable. It's fine. It's totally fine. Um, we're going to have an awesome time. We're going to have an awesome time with the folks who are attending digitally. And we're going to have an awesome time with the folks who are there in person. Um, and it's, um, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be, um, uh, it's going to be a lot. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I'm now. I've, I've already been thinking about like, okay, what? Um, there's nothing really in the Council of Elrond that we need to reenact. <laughs> it's one of the one of the problems of the Council of Elrond. Um, and uh, for those of you who have been, um, um, for those of you who uh, have been attending my Dante class, no. We're not gonna reenact anything involving snakes. It's not gonna happen. So give up on that one. Um but uh <laughs> anyway, we could reenact Boromir's interruptions, I suppose. Yeah. Um uh <laughs> right. Uh, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that. Aired 84 says we're already reenacting it by sitting around and talking about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um <laughs> but anyway. Um but um yeah, so that's the big news again f- more will be coming more uh, details will be coming the the registrations should be uh, open before too long uh, the uh, that is the, the the actual registration option for the in person uh, uh, sign up um, and the upgrade uh, from mootthub the um, uh, the you know the final pricing and everything um, that'll all be announced very soon but i didn't want to wait until we had all of that worked out to announce uh the good news so that you can begin thinking about it begin thinking about travel leesburg virginia for those of you who haven't been there before i don't want to assume for those of you who haven't been there before leesburg virginia the national conference center in leesburg virginia is our venue um so uh that's um uh that's what we're uh that's where we're going to plan to be um so anyway, yeah. DiMe, I agree. It will be wonderful to include distance people. It's something I always wanted to happen too, and I was really happy uh you may remember DiMe that our last, you know, 2 years ago, our last in-person Myth Moot was the first time we did Mootcast. Um and that was a a huge step forward. That was a huge boost. Um and I'm really excited to take um um I'm really excited to take the next step there. Um, so, anyway, yeah. Arcadian, you're only an hour away from Leesburg. Well, there you go. Look at that. No excuse. Um, um, Yeah, yeah. Cool. Michael, um, let's see. I'm not sure. Yeah, there will be uh, options. It it, it is possible to opt out of the lodging. Yes, that is possible. Uh, And where you might volunteer, um, uh, there's, I think there's an email for that. Doraward will tell me if i'm wrong but i believe there's an email for that on the uh <clears throat> the mythmoot page or yeah just send it to info at dot um and uh you will uh you can you can say that you want to volunteer we are going to need i think more than a usual number of volunteers i'm hoping that all, and all of us who are going to be there in person will kind of embrace the fun challenge of um of like involving uh the folks who are not there of course it'd be really easy uh for the comparatively small group I still expect it to be smaller than previous MythMoots have been um as far as the the live in-person attendance um but uh, but still, uh, you know, for those of us who are there, the smaller number of us who are there, I know it would be kind of easy to get so wrapped up in and hanging out with each other that we can kind of forget about the people who are attending digitally. Um, but I, I know that people will be diligent uh, in remembering that. And I think it'll be fun to have, a, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, kind of, you know, camera people sharing, you know, you know, uh, streaming for folks Um there's going to be uh there's going to be a lot of opportunity to include the virtual attendees the the digital attendees uh even in the live interaction like uh you know even like in standing around in the hallway and chatting uh, I think that uh, a lot of you know our the moot hub interface should enable us to do that i think quite a bit so um, anyway yeah it's going to be um, um uh it's, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Zephan says, uh, can we like sponsor a digital only person, like <laughs> wear GoPros and be their eyes? Hey, why not? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> that, well, there will definitely be opportunities for stuff like that. Uh, I'd say, you know, volunteer and, and, you know, if you volunteer, you can help us kind of figure out how, how, how we're going to do it. I think it's going to be fun. Um, but, um, anyway, uh, this is going to be, uh, this is this is going to be great so um I, I won't take all night chatting about it though i have much anticipation i cannot even tell you how excited i am about this um as i say, i know it might seem strange but really our moot program myth moot you know primarily in our regional moots after that um it's the number one thing that i miss from the pandemic. It really is. Like, there's, 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 there's nothing that I miss more. Partly, that's because my life is always spent... <laughs> alone in my basement i never used to leave my house anyway uh so you know i mean i'm the president of a completely uh a completely distributed online operation so uh all of my working days were always spent in front of my computer anyway so in a lot of ways my daily life didn't change all that much during the pandemic um but uh but 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 moots has been i mean there's a reason we started the moot program and that's because it's so good to be able to connect with people. Um, I love connecting with you guys online on a weekly basis. It's really, really great, but it is just a wonderful thing to be able to be in the same place and, uh, do stuff together. So it's going to be cool. And yes, for those of you who are asking, um, um, musical, you are right to say that SoCal moot, um, SoCal Moot 2020 was the last regional moot that we had. Um, uh, yes, yes. Uh, I was there with you in, in the last moot. Um, and uh, we're definitely going to be starting up the regional moot program again uh, this year. Uh, my plan is uh, September. September. Basically, I don't think we're going to push it over. That we didn't really do many moots, regional moots in the summertime anyway, um, so we're probably going to be starting up uh, in September. I know there are definitely already plans for a hybrid middle moot uh, back in Iowa again this year, and then um, and we I'm hoping that we'll be able to do something in New England um, in September, and then we'll see uh, where the other ones um, where the other ones go through. So uh, anyway. Uh, you know, it's you know been a bit of a layoff from the regional moots but this reminds me if you would like to help organize a regional moot our regional moots are like how they work is when there are like enthusiastic local people who just want to help us be boots on the ground we can, you know, we'll pay for things and we'll help to set things up but what we don't have is local knowledge so if there's, you know people who can help us to, like, find good venues and, uh, you know, plan, like, places to eat and stuff like that. Um, that's what we... Uh, that's really what we need, somebody who's who's going to be willing to kind of uh, be the local organizer. Um, and then we can... We have a bunch of resources that we can, you know, help uh, with making things happen. Um, so, uh, you know, it's funny. I see two suggestions that... Um, two, two suggestions that I... Um, uh, w- that I've been talking about literally for years, guys, I've wanted a Buckeye moot, uh, an Ohio moot and a Seattle moot. Both of those two have been, um, uh, like ones I've wanted to do for a long time. We've never done them. Let's make it happen. Let's do, let's add those to the rotation. I totally wanted to do those. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, we're, 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 I'm, I'm definitely interested in that. I'm interested in, in like, Going back to all of the places that we used to have before, um, yeah, you know, uh, California Bay Area, Southern California, Florida, um, uh, New England. Uh, Texas and uh, 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 Midwest, of course. Um, Rocky Mountain Moot, we've talked about that, the possibility of maybe doing Denver or something like that, but yeah, absolutely. If you have ideas... Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Magnolia Moot, down in North Carolina, Stephanie. Yeah, absolutely. We did Magnolia Moot uh, once, twice. We almost did it a second time, but we didn't get to do it the second time. Yeah, absolutely. Magnolia Moot, we should do that again. Um, so... Um, uh, anyway, yeah, this is definitely something that I would, um, uh, uh, all of these things are things I would love to do. And it's like open season now, man, like I'm ready to go. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just about to talk about more things there, but let me, let me, let me not talk about more things. Again, I could talk about moots all night cause I am so excited about this, but, um, Uh, But yeah, so I do encourage you, reach out, uh, reach out, send an email to info at org, and we'll get you connected uh, with our planning folks. Let's see if we can, let's see if we can make it happen. Uh, I think that would be great. Um, Somebody was talking about, um, uh, I saw somebody say, what do you have to do to get one in Germany? Well... Interesting that you ask that, because um, we uh, uh, that was another moot that we've done several times before, which is um, uh, our, our Europe moot, um, and we've been kind of, uh, well, we started, we did it twice, um, alternating between basically the UK and the continent. So we did one in London, and then we did one in, um, um, in the Netherlands, and then we were planning to go back to uh to wales to the uk um that's a that's a challenge of course um it's a challenge because uh the international travel i'm still not really sure uh that uh, maybe maybe we, if we can do it i'm ready i'm totally ready uh to go back we also had all planned i was all ready to do nippon moot uh to go to uh, uh to go to japan um and uh that was all planned and 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 just about ready to go, but um we um then that was supposed to happen like a couple of months after the pandemic hit so anyway, I am certainly hoping to get all those st- and 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 maple moot uh we've been working on uh toronto uh as a site there so um again once we get i'm 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 kind of less I'm pushing a little less quickly, uh, for the foreign ones, uh, you know, outside America, because just, I know travel's challenging there. My hope is that that's going to open up and that we'll be able to move forward with that, especially in the second half of this kind of know if we'll be able to do it in the fall, maybe we'll be able to do it in the fall, but, um, we'll, um, we'll see, uh, we'll see, uh, what we, uh, what, what we're able to do, uh, there. Um, but, okay. um, yeah, yeah. Oh, Nordic moot. Yep. No, I mean, we had talked, Matt, we had talked about, um, you know, we were going to go and we're, we we were going to be in Wales in the UK um, uh, last year. The plan had been we'd been thinking about where to go after that, back to, you know, it, the, the next Europe moot after that. We talked about Denmark. We talked about Germany. Uh, so we'll see. Um, um. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, And of course, we've been talking. uh, uh, We've been even planning um, at various stages, though our plans fell through and we weren't able uh, to pull it off. But I still hope to do Kiwi moot someday uh, and to do a moot in New Zealand. But someday, someday, um, someday this will happen. Um, Anyhow. So the 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 vistas are opening up again and I am <clears throat> really really excited about it. Now, let's get back to the text or else I'm not gonna be able to get through anything at all tonight. So um we just had Elrond's big statement. We must send the ring to the fire. And I was, you know, I just been I've been reflecting on this uh, you know, more and again it strikes me what I find really interesting, this is an experience, by the way, I have had so many times, um, during the course of our discussions here in exploring the Lord of the Rings where mm-hmm. we're reading a passage and I'm realizing the assumption I always made about it, like always made about it. Um, and the number one assumption I've always made about Elrond's statement, not the we must send the ring to the fire sentence itself, but, um, uh, the in in the lead up to it, the statement I'm referring to is when he says we must take the path unforeseen. Is he talking about unforeseen by Sauron, like what Sauron will least expect? Yes, he's already said that. Um, but that's not the only thing that he's talking about, and that's the thing that I that's the assumption that I that I find on reflection that I always made. Um, that's how I. what's what I always heard in that sentence. Him saying, like the reason, like, not like the only reason, but like the number one reason why we should do this is that Sauron won't guess that we're doing it now. It's not that I think he's wrong, but I always found that a little unsatisfying. Um, you know, for it to be based on that kind of a calculation, right? That kind of... Well, I was going to say guesswork, and maybe that's not quite fair. I mean, Elrond is very wise. Um, so it's perhaps better than just guesswork. Um, but it's not just, he's not only saying, and this I'm feeling very convinced of after our discussions last week, he's not only saying, um, Sauron is not going to expect us to do this. Um, he is also saying, um, we didn't expect to be doing this, this is not the kind of thing that we, the elves, have done, right? I mean, uh, there there has been, there have been two, um, two approaches, right? Go away, <laughs> right, or attack, right? I mean, there are very very few times. The elves have done anything other than those two things in their opposition to the enemy, right? You either uh, take the fight to the enemy, like they tried to do in the Ninth Arnoidiad, which didn't pan out, or like they did in the Battle of the Last Alliance, which did pan out. Um, so you can try taking the fight to the enemy, or you can try watching and waiting. That's another big... T- I, wanna, I don't know if that counts as a tactic, I suppose, uh, that it counts as a tactic, right? Um, but there have been very, very few exceptions. Um, and you'll notice something. There are a couple exceptions, right, of elves who have done the unexpected thing, the, like, solo quest into danger route. Um, and musicologist, as you say, Luthien, of course, is the primary example of this, but um, I would also put Fingen there in his rescue of Madros, right, so it's not that it's never been done before, right, but notice what those two examples have in common: the people who did them did not do it with the advice or even the knowledge of anybody else right the like the elves as a whole never instituted that as a policy, right? It's just not something that ever happened. Um, they, um, the, like, you know, like, too often the elves have fled that way to the sea, right? That's the elves go to route. Um, that's their number one approach. Like, Especially, you know, post War of Wrath, right? When that path was open to them, right? That has been their number one response. Things are getting bad in Middle Earth. Well, peace out, <laughs> right? Let's go back to Elvenholm. Um, that has been their default, you know, for most of them. That has been their default. Now, remember, remember who Elrond is, right? And I don't mean his parentage. I don't mean his his um, his his. Uh, you know his lineage i mean his work experience his resume right he is gilgoad's right hand guy for thousands of years he was gilgoad's right hand guy and gilgoad was the one who didn't peace out right he was the high king of the noldor who stayed in middle earth after the war of wrath stayed and kept kinging in middle earth and opposed the shadow and didn't flee when the shadow came, right? And ultimately, of course, was the, was, you know, the leader, well, you know, with Elendil, um, was the leader of the, let's take the fight to the enemy movement, right? At the end of the second age. Um, but, um, but still most, so again, when, when Elrond says, you know, we elves have, 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 have done that far too often, um, not him, Obviously, uh, but not, 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 not him and his. I, I know there's the issue with his wife, but that's a special, a special circumstance, right? Um, but nevertheless, he's also not suggesting the Gilgoad approach either. I mean, I kind of think that what Elrond is suggesting here, I think I, I can't remember any other examples. I think this is unique. I think this again it's not it's not that the action is unique. Again there are parallels, Luthian, Fingen, there are parallels like that, but not like this. You know, that the the, the Thingol might have initiated the Quest for the Silmaril uh, in his way, right? But it wasn't his idea, and I mean, it wasn't actually a plan, right? It was that it was, a, or okay, it was a plan, it was a plan to uh get his potential son in law killed so he'd get him out of the way, right? That was the plan. Um, it wasn't actually a like let's actually overcome the darkness by this method, right? Um, so, um, uh, anyway, it's it's um. It's. I can't remember, an elf lord. You know, in like deciding this is the equivalent, right? I mean, there's no High King of the Noldor right now, right? The the the, the elf lords who are right here at this council, making this decision, right? The, you know, that they have been called together, right? And councils are going to be taken stronger than Morgul spells. These guys together are. Basically in, uh, um, you know, in in the place of uh, in the place of of the king. This is the this is the authority, you know, like the, uh you know, Goadriel's not there, but, you know, Saruman's not there. Of course, he's lost his seat anyway. But, you know, much of the White Council is here. Right. Uh, in this room. Um, there's um, uh, there's uh, this is a big moment. Right, This is a big decision-making moment. And again, there's no... Um, um, I can't think of a single precedent for this. But again, of course, they've never found them in exactly this position either. This is the thing that increasingly I think that Gandalf... And this has been another one of the things that I've been really... That I felt like my eyes have really been opened to as we've been discussing this together. Um, is uh, that... Gandalf's emphasis is on the very great peculiarity of this moment, right? And what he's been trying to draw attention to the situation that Providence has brought about. Here we are, and here is the ring, right? They did not plan this. They did not expect this. They could not have anticipated this. But what has Providence provided? Providence has provided this incredible opportunity to defeat Sauron. There is a mechanism that they can use to defeat Sauron. All they have to do is destroy the ring, and all they have to do to destroy the ring is take the ring to the fire, as Elrond said. Um, Hiding it forever. uh, Not going to work. Not going to happen, right? We considered this, but you know, yeah, they're not—the two methods, right? Fight or flight, as I saw one of you guys talking about. Um, fight or flight is—those are the two standard Elvish options. And Elrond says, no, no, it's time. This is what we must do. We must send the ring to the fire. Um uh yeah exactly GDC I do see Gandalf and Elrond seeing providence at work and and they can take a hint absolutely um yeah yeah um and yes Matt I agree that's a really interesting point actually that's a very interesting point Matt and I want to I want to I want to land on this for a second um Matt says the unmaking itself can also be viewed as a path unforeseen he says the elves have been about preserving things forever Right. Um, they're, they're, um, uh, Oh, what is that word? The word that's the opposite of iconoclast. I remember hearing it a couple times. People don't use it much. People use iconoclasm a lot, but they don't use the opposite. What's the opposite. There's another, there's a word that means, um, like to hold on to, uh, icons. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's not iconophile. Um, i Iconidual? yeah that sounds it it was a, it was an unusual word like it was it was not just like a standard ending tacked onto it um but um anyway. They, are, uh, they, they hold on to things. They preserve things. And he says now they're embracing a radical change, the unmaking of the One Ring, and in doing so, the intentional fading of the three that are maintaining their unchanging realms of the Havens, Rivendell, and Lothlorien. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not only that in general, destroying things is not what the elves are in a hurry to do, but they're going to know. Elrond knows better than anybody, Right. Probably better than literally anyone else in Middle-earth, Elrond knows that sending the ring to the fire, unmaking the ring, is going to undo what the elves have been doing for millennia now, right? It spells the end to the whole elvish plan. And this, of course, by the way, is another reason why Sauron is not going to expect this, because it's like the least elvish plan ever. Um... They have been trying. They've been working for all of this time, from when Celebrimbor was making. There, he knows nobody knows better than Sauron why the elves wanted to, wanted the Rings of Power and what their goal was with the Rings of Power, right? I mean, he used that desire to ensnare Celebrimbor. He knows it really, really well, right? And he they, they've been doing it, right? They've been following through on it, and it's been working. Um, these. Wonderful elvish havens that have been created at the havens and at Lothlórien and at Rivendell are a result, uh, in large part, of the power of the Rings. And they are going to they are he is signing them up for fading or at least a rapid acceleration of the fading. Right, and that's that's a huge deal. And so in that way, yes, it is a um, it is a very. Um, it is a very unforeseen uh, act, and you know I, it's interesting. I think this is another. Um, this is another way. Um, I, th- I think that this was another way in which um, the. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, This is another way in which I think people can easily misunderstand the significance of things. Like, this is a real act of sacrifice on the part of the elves. And Mad Violinist, um, I agree with you. Mad Violinist says, it makes you wonder if Peter Jackson's interpretation of Elrond begging Isildur to destroy the ring was wrong. Was Elrond hesitant to make that happen because of the cost, Um, a stance that he's changed since? Um, Yes, it's one thing for him to say... It should, like, he said in the council, as should have been done, right? Like, Isildur should have destroyed the ring then. He says that now. Did he say it then? It's not obvious to me that he necessarily did. I mean, I, that scene in the film is very powerful. But I mean, we talked about this a good bit many months ago uh, when we were covering that section of the Council of Elrond. And I think that there's lots of reasons to believe that Isildur was not going rogue when he kept the ring um and you know the more that i think about especially in light um uh you know chris of what um uh of what matt was just saying um yeah like let's not be hasty let's not rush into this because especially since like you know okay so we don't throw it in now right maybe we can throw it you know if we if we find in you know a week a month a century that, uh, you know, it's not panning out, we'll throw it away then, right? Who's to stop them? Sauron's, Sauron's overthrown. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of retrospect going on, um, in his proclamation there. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and Brandon, you're absolutely right that Elrond recognizes that the time of the elves is ending, regardless of the outcome of this war. I mean, he, 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 I think you're right that in that way, he can also sort of see the direction that the music is, is going, right? He knows that I mean, there will come a time, arguably, it's already passing, right? When for the elves to continue to cling on, to continue to try to keep things unchanging the way that they were, is going to be an increasingly corrupted thing to do. Um <clears throat> that they're gonna be fighting against not just against destiny futilely um but doing increasing harm to themselves and others um by holding on to the thing by not trying to stop you know time from moving in the direction in which time is moving um yeah, yeah, um yeah, and matt it isn't uh Matt from Wisconsin, it's not exactly. It's not only, the fact that it's unforeseen isn't the thing that necessarily makes it right. Um, I don't think that's not exactly the point. Again, when Elrond says it, he says, we must take the path unforeseen, right? Um, he doesn't say like, hey, this is so unforeseen, we should totally do it, right? Again, and, and, and honestly, Matt, that was one of my own resistances to this passage previously. When I thought he was just saying like, the maximally cunning thing we can do is what we believe Sauron least expects, which again, I like, guess, fine. It's not like that's bad reasoning. It's not like he's necessarily wrong about that, but that's always felt weak to me, right? Like when I was just reading it as mere strategy. Um, but it's not. Um, and for him to, you know, so, but the point is, it's not that he's saying the unforeseenness of it is the entire argument in support of it. Um, he is kind of bracing them. Right? And I think that's why he builds up to it as slowly as he does. Um, because he knows. I can... It's funny because it might seem... It might seem, um... It might seem to us like it's screamingly obvious. And I think, like, to Gandalf, it kind of seems screamingly... I mean, I, Gandalf has foreseen this from Bagend. We saw that in Chapter 2. Right? Um... You know, the only question in Gandalf's mind was whether or not the taking the ring to Mordor was going to be Frodo's quest or somebody else's, right? He explicitly said that uh, in the parlor in Bag End. Um, Gandalf has foreseen it. We as readers might foresee it. But honestly, I um, uh, I suspect that when Elrond says that, we must send the ring to the fire. There are probably some elves in the room who gasp. Right? I mean, like, it's that unforeseen. That unthinkable. That they would seek to destroy the ring knowing. Those who know what that means for the elvish rings? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry. Uh there's um uh, I'm trying to catch up on your uh your comments, which are both excellent and numerous. Um but um Yeah, it's unforeseen by Galdor, for sure. (laughs) Cook of Putin Minor. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I bet Galdor is totally flabbergasted. (laughs) But Kurtzimas says he doesn't think Galdor has seen anything coming, ever. (laughs) Well, well, we shouldn't be too mean to Galdor, though he deserves a little of it. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um... Titan, uh, Titanamaki was saying he was waiting for the Galdor bashing to begin, yeah absolutely, absolutely, Galdor is the new Celeborn Marhouse is exactly what I was thinking earlier yeah, absolutely, absolutely um um good good, um, okay with all that in mind (laughs) let's start our first slide, shall we (laughs) okay silence fell again Frodo, even in that fair house, looking out upon a sunlit valley filled with the noise of clear waters, felt a dead darkness in his heart. Boromir stirred, and Frodo looked at him. He was fingering his great horn and frowning. At length he spoke. Okay, now, before he speaks, um, this is uh, the first time, isn't it the first time, Boromir has spoken without interrupting? I mean he breaks in without invitation but you know this is that's uh you know there's a there's a there's a tactful silence for some time here before he uh, uh before he 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 breaks out um, we get two things here in this paragraph we get what goes on in is what is going on in Frodo's heart first then we get well what's going on in Boromir's heart. Right? We get a first-person account of how Frodo's feeling. We only get an external description of Boromir and are left to conclude what he might be thinking or feeling. Uh, Bjarnasoner, I agree. I, too, think that Frodo can sense what's coming. Um, And, you know, Matt is thinking the same thing. Absolutely. Um, uh, Yeah. Yeah. Kurtzimus is wondering why Frodo is especially aware of Boromir. Well, his eye is drawn to him by the fact that Boromir stirs. So Boromir is the most fidgety of everybody in the room at this moment, right? Boromir is stirring. Um, And that's what makes Frodo look at him. And when he looks at him, he sees that he's fingering his great horn and frowning. And at length he spoke now the frown is explained by the words that he goes on to say, right he's frowning because he's not he's not tracking right he's not tracking he's he's not um uh, the problem is not necessarily specifically with the we must send the ring to the fire statement. I think perhaps as to Aristor's statement earlier on, right? There are but two options, uh, to hide it forever or to unmake it. And that's the thing that seems to be making Boromir twitchy. Uh, Wait a second. There's this obvious third option, right? Why has nobody mentioned the obvious third option? So that seems to be what he's frowning about. Um, Why is he fingering his great horn? It's an interesting little detail. Um, What does that signal to us, do you think? I'm thinking he's fingering his great horn. Um, Not, you know, is he fingering his great horn the same way that Frodo tends to finger the things in his pockets when he's making a speech? Probably not. It's his version of a fidget spinner. Yeah possibly. I I think Boromir is, I mean, when does he, when does, what does the horn mean to him? Right? He blows the horn when he sets out on a journey, when he, you know, leads the charge into battle. Blowing the horn for Boromir, this is an action thing. This is what you do when you are stepping forth, when you are moving boldly, right? When you're about to attack, when you're about to, you know, when, again, again when you're, when you're, when you're going forth, um, that's, that's what he does. He's going to tell us later on that that's when he blows the horn. Um, we will see him blow the horn three times, right? There are three times that he blows the horn. Um, once before they leave Rivendell. Second, um, he blows it in Moria too, doesn't he? Doesn't he blow it in Moria? Vague memory of him, uh, blowing it in Moria. Pretty sure, yeah. At the Balrog, he blows his horn, and then uh, he blows it, uh, of course, uh, in the battle with the orcs. Um, by Parth Galen, um, that last time, in part, he seems to be calling for aid. That's another time. That the horn is used. Um, But um, I. But it's not just a like, it's not a retreat sign. It's not just a desperate hope for help sign. It seems to be primarily a stepping out with confidence and courage sign. So, him fingering his great horn, um, what he is going to be talking about is what we need to be doing. He's going to go back to option, let's attack Sauron, right? Let's let's take the fight to the enemy. Um, which, as I've said, is one of the congenial options for the elves, for sure. Um, so I think that that's what's in his head um, when he's fingering his great horn. Um, now with a little bit of uh, foreknowledge, we have reason to believe that Boromir is under a certain amount of ring temptation here in this moment, right? Um, I'm going to guess, this is only a guess, we don't know for sure, um, but I feel pretty confident in guessing that the ring is feeding him very reasonable arguments for why we should not go and destroy the ring and why we should claim it instead. Right. Um, exactly, JJ. I no longer doubt my guess. That's exactly it. Um, uh, we will see, I think, pretty clearly in his words um, that he is um, uh that this kind of thing is at play. So yes, when he's fingering his great horn and frowning, I think he's frowning because it's a frown of disagreement, right? I don't don't agree that those are our only two options, to hide it forever or to destroy it. There's an obvious third option, which, what? uh, You know, is nobody else in the room bold enough to say it, right? Are they just timid, these elf lords and wizards? Right, um, and he's imagining uh, charging, right? Um, but before we go on there, I probably should have talked. So, could, should talk about Boromir second in Frodo's heart first. Let's go back to the dead darkness. Why dead darkness? Um, several of you have been talking about. Um, uh, And I agree with you. It's a very striking phrase. Dead dark. There was a dead darkness in his heart. Um, Now this is of course especially poignant in the context of Frodo's recent wound. Right? Had the shard of the Morgul blade worked its way all the way to his heart. There sure would have been a dead darkness in his heart, right? So it's, a it's to me a very striking phrase. Um, the way that darkness was closing in around him as the, as the sliver was getting closer to his heart. Um, and you know, the whole sort of relationship with death, you know, that, um, uh, you know, that the death that he was close to or the sort of worse than death, um, uh yeah yeah um I wonder interesting Emily um Trifle and Emily are both thinking um could this also be the ring um Trifle says we did just say the ring was probably working on Boromir the ring could be working on Frodo and Emily says uh you know the ring could be making him feel what the loss of the ring would do um that's um That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Um, I agree with folks who are suggesting that the weight on Frodo's heart is primarily dread. Um, Dread of what is to come. Dread... Elrond has just said that he now sees clearly what must be done. Does Frodo also see clearly what must be done? And it fills his heart with a dead darkness. Um, he had been hoping to rest. He had been hoping that his job was done. Um, and now this weight is falling on his heart as his heart is telling him clearly, though he doesn't want to hear it, that volunteering to take the ring to Mordor is what he should do. Um, I think that that is a very likely. But let's pause for a second and think about um, uh, Emily and Trifle's suggestions um, about um, uh, could it be a ring influence? I kind of like it, in one sense. Um, I think it's interesting. The idea that the ring would be filling him with dead darkness at the thought of the destruction of the ring. But I don't know. It... It's possible. It's possible. The... Again, the the primary focus of the sentence is on the contrast Frodo's perceived contrast between the brightness and the beauty and the calm of the world around him, even in that fair house looking out upon a sunlit valley filled with the noise of clear waters, he felt a dead darkness in his heart. Right. So that contrast between what he's experiencing and what his what is surrounding him, um, I. Uh, It is tempting to take that as evidence of his own, not his perceptions exactly, he's perfectly aware of the Sunlit Valley, um, but um, of the influence of the ring, right? That, that the disjunction there is sort of a sign that he's being acted upon in some way. Um, I think that either one of them could work. I'm not really sure which I favor. I think in part... Um, I think in part yeah, I mean this is going to be um. Trifle, you're right that later on he is going to be thinking more explicitly about his desire, just, just simply his desire not to go, his desire to stay safely in Rivendell but the fact that that gets repeated the way that it does later on... There are two things. To In my mind, the two strongest um, arguments against that reading of this sentence and for the ring influence reading. First of all, the repetition. It could just be a repetition, of course. But I also wonder if a memory... Remembering forward to that later, more explicit statement about this might be coloring our reception of this sentence, right? The second thing is the word dead. The word dead. He felt a dead darkness in his heart. That doesn't sound to me... The more I think about that phrase, the less it sounds to me like the feeling of dread, you know, like that sense of duty that he wishes he didn't, that he wishes he could avoid. Do you see what I mean? Um, Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't, I don't feel strongly about this sentence, but again, it's, it's, it's the word, it's the word dead that gets to me. The dead darkness in his heart. That is something... I'm trying to think of other examples. Those are two heavy words, right? For there to be a darkness in your heart um, and a dead darkness in his heart. It absolutely could be his foreboding of future of future trials. I'm not saying it doesn't fit. Um, it is. Fourth Dauntless. I agree, and I think somebody was maybe it was you was mentioning this before as well. Um, uh, says it's hard not to think of the Barrow White and its spell here. Yeah, yeah, um, um, yeah. And uh, 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 e- e- how do you pronounce that, Elamore? I'm not sure how to do the H. Um, uh, Welcome, by the way, Elamore. But, um, uh, anyways, recalling, of course, in the darkness, bind them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, um... there's a lot of words that I could easily, like dread, foreboding, um, fear, right? Um, those would all be very natural. Um, even like repugnance, right? But, um, but a dead darkness in his heart. Yeah. um, Now A couple of people were asking, could he be feeling possessive of the ring, like in response to Boromir? No, uh, The sequence suggests not, right? Um, Frodo doesn't even look over at Boromir until after he's already feeling the dead darkness, so I don't think that Boromir's words or actions have anything to do with his feeling of the dead darkness. Instead, it seems to be in response to Elrond's words. And again, both of the versions, right? Um, uh, Zephan give me some examples, can you? Um, deadly dark pops up often in the text. Yeah. Can you lay on me some examples? Um... Deadly dark is not uh, exactly the same as dead darkness. Um... Yeah. Um... But yeah, find me some examples. When Tolkien associates those two words... Because it, it feels to me significant. Especially, like, the three things, right? Deadness, darkness, and in his heart, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, the night grew deadly dark under great clouds. Okay. Okay in the next chapter, right? Right? And I agree, the alliteration is very oppressive. Agreed. Agreed. Um, interesting, Rowan suggests that dead darkness sounds almost like something opposed to Estelle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um... Who will lead us in this deadly dark? Doesn't Boromir say it? Um, interest. Oh, that one is fascinating, Matt. Um, the phrases used in the houses of healing... As they went towards the room where the sick were tended, Gandalf told of the deeds of Eowyn and Meriadoc. for he said, Long have I stood by them, and at first they spoke much in their dreaming, before they sank into the deadly darkness. Also it is given to me to see many things far off. Before they sank into the deadly darkness. So the deadly darkness is where those who are succumbing to the black breath are going, Right? That is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, I agree, JJ. I'm not... I don't want to equate the two things. I I, I agree there's a difference in the force of deadly darkness and dead darkness. Um, Deadly darkness. Deadly... You know, that's... Let's see. I'm trying to I'm trying to quantify the difference. Cook of Wooten Minor says a deadly darkness is very different from dead darkness. The former poses a threat of harm by some unseen enemy. Yes, the darkness itself is deadly to you, and dead darkness is the harm. Um Right. Well, it's certainly true that a dead snake and a deadly snake are are quite different, J.J. Yes, I agree with that, but I don't think that applied to darkness, um, it's not quite, it's not quite that difference, right? Um, uh, it's not dead in the sense of harmless because inert, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, um... (laughs) <laughs> Michael Tobias is thinking of uh uh wanting to paint it black. Yes. Uh danger versus despair. Perfect, Chris. Perfect. Danger versus despair. Yes. Deadly dark is about danger. Dead darkness is about despair, which comes back to um what uh what you guys were talking about with um somebody was mentioning mentioning earlier about Estelle, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um Yes. Um, Matt points out that the, the deadly dark uh, that Eowyn and Mary are going into, they're both suffering from wounds caused by their fight with the Witch King, um, even if they were victorious, just like Frodo. Um, yes, Roger, Wilco. Uh, Roger, that's a wonderful observation. Coming back specifically to the contrast between the sunlit valley and the noise of clear waters. Not just the brightness, not just the beauty, but the, the life, the activity contrasted with the dead darkness in his in his heart and that is clearly the contrast right it's not just his heart is dark while the valley is light his heart is the darkness in his heart is a dead darkness it is an inert darkness it is but not inert in the sense of being safe uh like the dead snake jj but um uh you know being without um life without movement i get I, yeah like hopelessness Hopelessness. Um, uh, yeah, darkness without hope for dawn. Something like that, Turambar, Yeah, something like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, the more I think about it, there's no question in my mind that Frodo is feeling that dread. And I do believe that he, he may already be beginning to be thinking. He may already have been thinking. He will certainly and explicitly later be thinking that he has a sinking feeling that this is something he's supposed to do and he would really quite rather not. Um, I don't want anybody to think that I'm resisting the idea that, that's, that that is a thing that's in Frodo's mind and heart or will be in Frodo's mind and heart but I am not sure the more we think about this the less um, convinced I am. Um, Good, Frumius Bujum is remembering Gollum's darkness riddle ends life, kills laughter. It's that kind of darkness, isn't it, uh, that, um, uh, that Frodo seems to have in his heart here. Does this necessarily mean that um, the ring is acting on him directly? I don't know. But of course, remember, the ring doesn't have to be like actively working on him for him to be affected by it. Frodo's heart, we know this. We saw this in Bag End. Frodo's heart has already begun to be corrupted by the ring. We saw that in the fact that he couldn't chuck it into the fireplace. Right? Um, we saw the ring already acting in his heart, and of course we saw it several times more since then. Um, and so I come back to the fact what exactly is he responding to? What he is responding to is Elrond's declaration that what needs to happen is that the ring must be destroyed. Um, And uh Yeah. Now, Trifle, I I, I hear you. I hear you in saying that Frodo's rationalization has tended to be the signal of the ring acting on his mind, and I agree with you there. I'm not sure that I do believe that the ring is active here, but that his response to the prospect of the ring's destruction is a dead darkness in his heart does seem to me to tell us something about the state of his heart in relationship to the ring. Again, again, doesn't there, doesn't have to be whatever kinds of waves or particles the ring sends out, you know, in order to act upon the brain of people. Um, that doesn't have to be happening here for Frodo, nevertheless, to be affected by it. Right. We know Frodo would be a passively affected by it, even if the ring weren't doing anything. Um, Kurtzimus, I agree. Frodo doesn't want the ring destroyed. Um, That's a really, I think, um, uh, simple way of describing this. That like that might be a thing that he's kind of confronting here. Maybe not even understanding what he's confronting. But that in this moment, like, is this the first time that that idea comes into Frodo's heart? Right. This not resistance to because he's not resistant. He's not rationalizing, nothing like that, but just somebody says What needs to happen is we need to destroy the ring. And just like destroy the ring. Like boom. Whoa. That gives Frodo feels, right? And the feels that it gives him are is uh uh dead darkness. Um Yeah, yeah. Um yeah um yeah good right Uh, Green Great Dragon says Frodo suggested destroying it in Bag End yeah yeah he did he did he didn't he didn't he couldn't throw it away he couldn't throw it into the fire um he couldn't will to damage it as uh Gandalf said but he could talk about it right um Casually, right? Um, why didn't you send me a message? Right? Uh, Hi, Frodo. How have you been? This is Gandalf. Long time no see. Um, just wanted to see how you've been feeling. P.S. Chuck the ring in the fire. Right? Um, that, I mean, that's like what Frodo's the end. You know, like oh yeah. And I and obviously I'd have done it. Right? Um, but he's changed. He's changed a lot, and as Matt from Wisconsin says, Frodo has been almost wraithified since he left Bag End. Um, Remember how different are the eyes that look out of the mirror at Frodo when he sees his own reflection, when he gets out of bed in Rivendell. Yes, he looks much thinner, right? Um, But of course you remember. Yes, he physically looks different. Um, But of course we can now remember... His casual joke in uh, uh, in the marshes, right, and um, you know about if the thinning process goes on indefinitely, that he'll become a wraith. He wouldn't make that joke anymore, right? He's been too close to becoming a wraith, uh, uh, to and and so yes, his eyes. Um, he's different, and his relationship with the ring. Has changed. Um, he has put it on since he knew what it was. And remember, that's significant. We're going to be told that that's a big deal. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, was that an emotion <clears throat> felt by the bearers in reaction? um uh to a threat to the ring uh well i mean we only get a few right anger possessiveness um i'm thinking of course of gollum and bilbo um bilbo in his scene with gandalf in chapter 1 gollum Uh, Of course, in The Hobbit, Um, those are the only two examples that we have of people feeling a threat to the ring. Um, Though remember, Gollum is not only enraged, he also sits down and weeps. when he believes the ring is, when he realizes the ring is lost, that the ring has left him. Um, and yes, Michael points out, nobody's threatened to destroy it before. They've only threatened to take it. And Michael, I would add to that, um, remember how long it's going to remember ahead to how long it is going to take Gollum, even to theorize what they mean to do with the ring. Right. Um, I mean, it's not going to be until very, very late. It doesn't occur to Gollum either, what they're up to. Um, uh, And he's going to be pretty shocked when he does realize what it is, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Elamir, yeah. Wouldn't the ring's destruction leave an empty hole in Frodo's heart? Um, It kind of does. It kind of does. Um, it's gone. Gone forever, Frodo will say someday, right? Um, on the anniversary of the destruction of the Ring. So I am more and more again, I, I, I don't, I think it might be a passive effect. I'm, I'm not necessarily convinced because I agree with Trifle that if the Ring were actively working on him, we would see him going through more... It would look more, I think, like what was going on in Frodo's head when he puts the ring on and starts walking out of the room at Tom Bombadil's house. Right. I think it would look more like that. Um, what would... What what was going through his head would look more like that, I think. Um, yes, more rational. Exactly. Um, but... He is affected. I mean, we know the ring isn't still affecting him after it's been destroyed, and yet we know he is still profoundly impacted by the destruction of the ring um, uh, and, you know, by what the ring has done. So, like, it has it has affected him. Um, and I do agree that his wraithification, his near-wraithification experience, um, has certainly also greatly changed him and his perception of things and his... I don't know, like relationship with the world. It's another thing that I see here. That contrast between the bright, lovely, lively outside and the dead darkness inside. It reminds me of Wraithified Frodo with the the veil coming down between him and the world around him, right? Um, And I I, I wonder if he's kind of feeling that too, to some extent. Um, Yeah. So to sum up, we're seeing this as an effect of the spiritual damage Frodo has already taken from the ring and the Morgul knife. Yes. Yes, Trifle, that's just, I think, what I would say. Is this compounded by the creeping dread that he is no doubt beginning to—if he hasn't begun already, he is no doubt now beginning to feel the creeping dread that he really should volunteer for this, even though he totally doesn't want to? I am sure that it is compounded by that. But I am less and less convinced the more that we've thought about it, that dead darkness is the description of that feeling. I think that's a different feeling. Um, Good. Ilamar, I agree. He didn't want to... The reluctance that he felt to pull out the ring. Um, I think this is a continuation of this feeling. Yes, a deepening of it. I mean, another stage of that kind of feeling. Um, Yes. Yes. Yeah, I like that. Um, and Turambar, no, 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 no. I'm not saying right when the ring is destroyed. But I get, what I am talking about is his suffering on the anniversary of the destruction of the ring um, later on in Bag End in the Shire. Um, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about uh, his, his wounds that are not yet healed. And one of them is the suffering that he experienced uh, in taking the ring, in what the ring did to him. Um, uh, so, yes, he is at peace again afterwards. There is a breaking of the immediate control, the domination of his mind uh, and will that the ring was exerting in those last stages on the road to, uh, to Mount Doom. Um, but there are still wounds. Yes, when he's clutching the gem around his neck. Exactly. Those are the moments when I think there m- may be something like a dead darkness opening up in his heart again. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and and I, Captain Moe, I think it's definitely, I think it's not the loss of his finger. I think it's the destruction of the ring. Yeah, I do. I do. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, we still have a couple minutes. Um, let's go. Let's go into Boromir's actual words. Back to Boromir. Back to Boromir. At length he spoke. By the way, if there's somebody here who has a chain of rationalization going on in his head, I think it's Boromir, right? At length he spoke. I think that's what's been happening in his brain, right? I do not understand all this. He said, "Saruman is a traitor." But did he not have a glimpse of wisdom? Why do you speak ever of hiding and destroying? See, the problem is Aristor's paradigm, right? We must hide it forever or unmake it. Why do you speak ever of hiding and destroying? Why should we not think that the Great Ring has come into our hands to serve us in the very hour of need? Wielding it, the free lords of the free may surely defeat the enemy. That is what he most fears, I deem. The men of Gondor are valiant, and they will never submit. But they may be beaten down. Valor needs first strength and then a weapon. Let the ring be your weapon if it has such power as you say. Take it and go forth to victory. Um, oh, Houth Castle, that's fascinating. Houth Castle says It looks to me like Boromir is the first person in the book to use the phrase the Great Ring. Is this a cultural thing in Gondor, or is it a Boromir thing? Wow, that is really fascinating. That is really fascinating. Um, it could be either one. Somebody help me. Um, wait a second. Didn't the phrase come up, the great ring of long debate? Didn't Galdor already say that? But I don't think that that disqualifies the point. Faramir. Faramir. Um, what does Faramir call it? The Ring of Rings, he calls it. Right? So this is the answer to all the riddles. I'm going through Faramir's speech in my head. Yeah, he doesn't use the phrase the Great Ring. Uh, Isildur's scroll calls it that. There you go. Okay. Great. Great. Yeah, it's called Isildur's Bane gen- more generally. Um, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So I'm very willing. Now, remember, Isildur's scroll has not affect Gondorian culture. They didn't know about it. And remember Boromir's exclamation of surprise when he, like, Isildur took it. Right. Um, He didn't know. They didn't know. Um, Now, or maybe Boromir wasn't told. (laughs) It's always possible that his lore is insufficient on this point. Um, Right. Isildur did call it the Great Ring. Great. Okay. Um, Yeah. Now, when Gandalf uses the phrase, the Great Rings um he's speaking generically, not saying the great ring, meaning the one ring. Um, he just means the great rings as opposed to the lesser rings, and that's clearly yeah Gandalf is speaking of all twenty, and that's that's it's clearly, clearly a different um, paradigm there he's using it in a totally different context um Good. Boromir says, I have heard of the great ring of him we do not name, but we believe had Perish from the world. Yes. Yes. Good. Good. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> good. Um, I suspect. So my suspicion, therefore, is that it is a cultural thing. It sounds like Boromir's usage of it at that point. Um, the great ring of him whom of, of him we do not name. Um that sounds to me like a Gondor thing that when the ring of power is mentioned it is still called the great ring. Um but I still don't think I still think it might be a little bit suggestive especially in the context here, right? Um Yes. Yes. Exactly, Matt. That's exactly what I was just building to. Matt, uh, Matt from Wisconsin says, I think within the frame of the narrative, it seems to be a Gondor thing, Farmir notwithstanding, but I think we can see in a literary sense that it betrays Boromir's feeling for it. Um, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, Goadriel's going to say it too, but we'll get to her later on. Um, that's going to be a fun conversation. I can't wait. Um, oh man, there was so much so much. I mean, I just recently finished my annual reread of the Lord of the rings and oh man, going through, there's so many passages. I'm like, I can't wait till we get to this. This is going to be awesome. (sighs) Anyway. Um, but yes, Matt, thank you for reminding me. I was going to come back. I saw that comment of yours before and I wanted to come back to that. Um, well, but let's build up to it for a minute, Matt. Um, Is he rationalizing here? Do we see ring rationalization at work here? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, And because this is a, first of all, can we just acknowledge this is a really, really good argument? Why do you speak ever of hiding and destroying? Why should we not think that the great ring has come into our hands to serve us in this very hour of need? Right? That's a really good argument. It really is right? I mean, Gandalf. Look, Providence, right? Here we are and here is the ring. What shall we do with it? I mean, Gandalf has practically invited this question. Why should we not think that Providence has brought this into our hands to serve us in the very hour of need? He's not wrong. That sentence is exactly correct. Yes, the great ring has come into their hands to serve them in the very hour of need by enabling them to destroy it right but it's absolutely plausible right um and that that the smallness of the step right the smallness of the step between don't you see that Providence has orchestrated all of these remarkable events just to bring the ring into our power to give us this one unique, unanticipatable opportunity to overthrow Sauron? It's such a small step to the same exact first three quarters of the sentence, and then you just end with to use the ring against him. Right? Um, That's um, that's amazing. And Cook of Wooten Minor, absolutely not. From a, uh, uh, from a reader's perspective, have we, the readers, ever been given a reason not to use it thus far? Wouldn't the reader be wondering alongside Boromir? I don't see much reason. Why not? Now, Boromir, or, sorry, Boromir. Gandalf gave some cautions about this back in Bag End, right? Um, Gandalf has set us up, right? Gandalf's, Gandalf was pretty clear about the fact that what needs to happen is that it needs to go to the fire, right? Again, like Gandalf was full of spoilers at the end of chapter two. Um, So we've been primed already to think in that way. But again, I... um, And yes, there's lots of reasons, Lady Lakata, as you point out, to see that the influence of the ring in general, like the influence of the ring on Frodo and on Bilbo in chapter one, let's not forget. That's one of our very first impressions in the whole book, right, um, is a shaky one, right, is a sketchy one. Um, and yes, praise is reminding us that Frodo was warned not even to put it on, um, you know, and so therefore, you know, wielding it would surely uh, be even more dangerous. I agree. Um, yes, I agree. Gandalf follows the Merlin school of spoiler-mancy. Uh, JJ, the only difference is that he doesn't go around um, uh, writing them in gold letters, you know, around the Shire, um, but uh, yes. Um, so, okay. The I agree. We have reasons um, to. You're you're right. Belongs bond, except that one time on on Bilbo's door. That's true. That's the exception. That's the exception. Um, uh, but other than that, he doesn't generally go around writing spoilers. Uh, on <laughs> trees and such around the Shire. <laughs> um, anyway, anyway. Um, but, but you know, uh, Cook, Food, and and Miner, back to your question. I think we have every reason to believe that this is a perfectly fair question. And by the way, I don't think that this is really sketchy. I don't think that this is a really sketchy question. I don't think it's an obviously sketchy question. I don't, th- I mean, I, somebody, I forgot who it was, was saying, um, how is it exactly that Boromir still gets invited to be in the fellowship after asking this question? Uh, like, isn't this a pretty big red flag? Yeah, of course it's a red flag. But I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's the end of the world either. Um, it's a perfectly sensible question. It's a perfectly sensible question to be asked, especially by somebody who doesn't understand. And there's no reason, like, there's no reason to think that he should understand it, right? Um, Also, remember, remember, they skipped that bit. They skipped that bit of Bilbo's story. They didn't let Bilbo tell the story of what happens to you, right? I mean, so that's actually been something that's been, like, Boromir doesn't know. Right? Belongsmond, absolutely. He's he's a warrior. Right? This is who he is. Right? I mean, I, I, Valor needs first strength and then a weapon. Yeah. Yeah. We've got all the pieces in place. Right? No, Gondor, you know, let's not talk about waning, but, you know, we can't defeat Sauron. We can't really, you know, we can't hope to permanently stand up to Sauron. Um, We will never submit, but they may be beaten down. Um, And uh, and of course, you know, here he's just alluding to what he just said to Galdor a couple minutes ago, right? Um, uh, Long yet, may that march be delayed. Wonderful sentence. Um, This is hope. Again, what more wonderful, right? Providence has brought hope to Gondor. They know, he knows they can't stand against Sauron. He knows that better than anybody in the room. Um, and yet there's hope. Let the ring be your weapon if it has such power as you say. Yeah, um, dear I'm talking about Omdir, um, Ilamor. Um, we could have hope. Hope for success. Um, dear Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and Torambar, I agree. I do believe that Elrond is grateful to be able to shut this down now. This had to be said. This had to be talked about. I mean, I my subtitle for this slide is The Oliphant in the Room, because I, I it's actually almost a little shocking that nobody has suggested this before, right? This has never been on the table. And by the way, one of the things... Um, one of the things that... Um, <laughs> how did you guys get into reciting Labyrinth? I Never mind. I don't want to know. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I just look over, and we're talking about the power of the babe, seriously. Um, but anyway, um, one of the things that I was... a a serious disappointment to me. It wasn't like I thought it was an abomination or something, but the thing I really disliked about the film. And honestly, I have said several times before that, although the Lord of the Rings films are wonderful films, I mean, they are excellent, excellent movies. Um, but there are a lot of things, their treatment of the book. I was never very impressed by. Um, there's a lot of ways in which they just kind of punt on a lot of the major themes of the book, things that they could take up, but they just don't. Um, And uh, why I thought the Hobbit movies were much, much more interesting engagement with the text, even though they were horrible, terrible, uh, disastrously bad movies. Uh, But anyway, that's a discussion for another time. Point is in the films, they completely wimped out on exactly this question. Remember what they say in the movies, right? When Boromir says, no, we should use it. Remember what Elrond says in the film? He's just like, uh, yeah, we can't. It, it it doesn't work. We can't make it work, so we might as well give up on that plan. Like Basically, their answer is, like, that, is, that plan is impractical and thus should be rejected. Because, in yes, you cannot wield it. None of us can. Exactly. No one can. Lame. That's just lame. Absolutely lame. The point is they absolutely could. I mean, how many people? How many people in the room here? How many people sitting around this table or wherever they are? Right. Is there a table? I don't think there's a table. Um, how many people at this council? Let's just leave it that way. How many people in this sunlit valley with the noise of clear waters nearby could wield this ring? A bunch. A bunch. Could Boromir wield it? Sure. He'd get his butt kicked, but he could wield it. Um, I mean, you know, he'd be deceiving himself. Um, You know, lots of folks, right, including Sam. Sam is going to have the temptation. Um, uh, Now, of course, remember, Sam is going to have the insight that that temptation is just a cheat, right? He's not going to actually have the capacity to do that. But absolutely agree, Chris. Elrond, Gorfindel, Gandalf, Aragorn, Boromir, at a minimum. Yeah, Galdor? No way, man. No way. Aristor, maybe, not Galdor. That would be a cheat, too. Um, yeah, yeah, um... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I vote Farmer Maggot. Farmer Maggot could absolutely I mean yeah, farmer maggot. Farmer Maggot is like Yeah. I I I kind of feel like there should be farmer maggot memes that are kind of like the Chuck Norris memes. You know? Like to me that's Farmer Maggot. But anyway. Um uh <laughs> right, good call. GDC says. Come to think of it, the dwarves resisted the seven pretty well. I say, give it to Glowin. Why not? Right? Why not? Tom Bombadil? Sure, absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Farmer Maggot for president? Yeah. No, I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's um, it's uh This is I I I, I don't want to. I don't want to lose sight of the fact that um, Boromir's suggestion is a really legitimate suggestion, right? Um, It... It does make sense. It's perfectly rational. And this, of course, is one of the reasons why I think that we're all justly nervous about it, because it's almost certainly this is exactly what. The, I mean, I have no questions in my mind hearing him say this. No questions in my mind that Boromir is being acted on by the ring. This is just what it does. And how cunning is that? Right. To take the providence argument and try to twist that in this way. This makes all kinds of sense. And now I want to come back finally. It's the last point I'll make before we move on to the field trip. Um, Come back to Matt's observation. Um, Boromir says, Let the ring be your weapon. If it has such power as you say, take it and go forth to victory, he says in the second person. He's not asking for the ring for himself. He's not standing up and reaching out for it dramatically, right? Um, You guys take the ring, right? This is what we should do. Now, he's talked about it as being a weapon for Gondor, right? But he's being a total team player here, right? There's nothing to criticize. Total team player. The men of Gondor are valiant and they will never submit, but they may be beaten down right so yeah here we are we're your, like we're your offensive line right we're we're holding them back but take the ring and go forth to victory we'll block for you up front then do the thing man right one of you super impressive elf lords maybe the one who's glowing over there take the ring and and do it um yeah yeah um You know, is there a reason to think that he's being, um, uh, I don't know, not exactly, um, not exactly disingenuous, but um, I think he's still, this is evidence. I would take it as evidence that he's still rationalizing to himself or that he's not yet fallen so far yet. Right. Um, that the idea of taking the ring for himself, the promotion of his own power through the ring, his own glory, um, has not yet really sort of firmly taken root in his heart. But I think we have reason to believe that it's already started. And the reason I think that is because he is fingering his great horn when he is thinking about this. He is totally... Like, there is a part of his mind that is absolutely thinking about taking it and going forth to victory himself. I'm going to blow my horn, and we're going to go forth to victory. Um, He doesn't say it. And it may well be that he's still actively resisting it. um, And being a team player. I don't think it's necessarily... Um, it's necessarily subterfuge. like I don't think he's like he really wants it for himself, but is trying to conceal that actively trying to conceal that. I think he's still in an earlier stage than that. um but um yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm sorry, I asked for it, but I love the farmer maggot memes, you guys are you guys are coming up with here. <laughs> it's fantastic, absolutely, absolutely. It's totally giving me merch ideas now, by the way um but uh, yeah yeah um yeah, okay, um we'll leave it there. We'll get, of course, to the response uh to boromir's uh modest proposal uh next time but um uh yeah yeah, um yeah. Now, Matt violinist, we did a whole slide in the end. We did an entire an entire slide and some further discussion of the previous slide, of course but um, um but yeah, oh no, we're totally done with this slide. Take it and go forth to victory i think we're I think there's nothing further to be said about uh about um uh about this passage. I'm sure we won't have more to say at the beginning of next time. Um, Anyway, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll go on. We'll think more about probably think more reflect more about this next time and then move on uh, to Elrond's response, but all right, let us, um, we'll end our book discussion there tonight, folks. Thank you for all of your discussion. And we're, I think I'm still doing okay. I seem to be, uh, uh, not, Succumbing to any uh, uh, vaccine effects, so I'm ready to continue and uh, head off to the field trip here tonight. Oh, boy. I love it when that happens. My display gets awfully confused. Okay, there we go. All right. Okay. So, tonight in field trip is an exciting field trip moment. So are you there, Valoria? I'm not hearing you. I, oh. just,
1: I was waiting for my moment there.
0: There you go. Okay, cool. Good evening. I was just afraid that I didn't have Glad you there. Glad
1: to hear you're not
0: dead yet, sir. Not dead yet. Nope. Still holding out. So we finished the Vales of Anduin last time. So it's time to move on to a new region. Um, so um, there were those who were counseling prudence. And suggesting that perhaps um, going from the Vales of Anduin, as I am rather tempted to do, north to the Wells of Langflood uh, would be imprudent. But I do not counsel prudence. I want to go to Framsburg. Is that so wrong? I want to go to Framsburg. Come on. like.
1: It will end in tears.
0: <laughs> as soon as I saw Framsburg on the map, I was like... I need to go to Framsburg. Um, people are telling me, you know, like you're probably going to die horribly in terrible ways. Um, but that's okay. I I think that's no reason not to do it. So I should warn people two things. One, if you're very low level, you are not actually very low level. I'm level 120 and will probably die. Um, Uh, but, um, I'm going to, I'm going to get my Signum U Eagle out. There we go. Okay. See, now I'm protected, so I have nothing to fear. Um, uh, if you're, it's, it's a level 130 region that we're going to. So, um, exactly. Bricktails, precisely. I am laughing in the face of death. That is just what is happening. Um, and besides many of you sturdy folk, uh, here can protect me, and I have complete faith in you. So let's go back to Holtvis and ride north from there. And our goal tonight will be to get to the first stable master up there. In uh, or like you know, get it. See if I can bind myself to a, um, a milestone up there in the mm-hmm. Wells of Langflood. All right,
1: think, um,
0: uh, Holt this Yeah. So it's uh, can we travel there straight? Oh, I
1: have. I have, uh... Sorry,
0: my last one was still on uh, Bales of and Vegbar. Oh, yeah. Oh, actually... Yeah, no, wait. We talked about this. Actually, never mind. Let's go to the Björninghus.
1: Oh, Björninghus.
0: Let's travel from there. Yeah, at the end of last time, so so I bound myself to the Björninghus milestone because it's faster from there.
1: I see. Can we do that? uh, I might have to catch up with you there.
0: Ah, right. Let's see. Um... Well, the
1: rest of us will have to take the uh, miles, the stable master from Southbury to
0: Holtviss. Hult- okay. Okay. Or to to the, okay. can you go to the straight to the Bjorning house?
1: I don't think so. I no. don't recall. Okay. Um, only if you tell you
0: Bjorning. what, I'll meet you on the road by the Carrick.
1: Rosie says she can port people there. Oh, cool! All right. Actually, Rosie can port us straight to Limlok, which is in the Wells of Langlois.
0: No, no. Oh, that's even better. No, no. No, I'm keen to walk. I'm One keen, keen to walk.
1: Simply walk into the I, Wells that's Wells right. Of I want
0: to walk into the Wells of Langford. Um No, because okay. I want to. I want to see. I want to see what's on the way. I want to get the full experience. I don't want mm. to jump. Then I'll be all disjointed and stuff.
1: We want to get turned around and lost and stuck in things.
0: That's right. That's right.
1: Sethry Stable.
0: Okay. So should uh, a few of us are here at the Bjorning House. Should we set off because folks are some folks are going to be meeting us there?
1: Um, let's see where I can get a stable too.
0: Yeah, let's I'm go. Seeing. Let's go to uh. Yeah, if you go, let's head out, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna head back to the main road, and then we'll so carry whole, on. So yeah, so. Shooting for Holfus, and I'll meet you on the road by the river, next to the Carrick. All right. That's where I'll meet you. I'll, I'll follow this, the road this. out here from, from the Bjorninghus and all the beautiful flowers, from and the all the giant large bees. bees. Yeah. Well, these aren't the giant freaky bees. These are just the numerous bees.
1: Giant bees
0: are freaky. The giant bees are a little freaky. I do agree about that. Bees as large as your thumb are one thing. Bees as large as an Alsatian are quite another.
1: Yeah. Okay. There's a difference between a Dumbledore and an oh Oh my gosh, what is that? Okay, well, there's Finding that. Difference between a difference uh, between a Bumblebee and a Dumbledore.
0: A Bumblebee and a Dumbledore? hmm Okay. <laughs> I like the farmer maggot simply walks into Mordor meme. That's good. <laughs>
1: farmer maggot is the Chuck Norris of Middle
0: Earth. He is clearly. I mean, there's no question. There is no just, better candidate.
1: Yeah, Chuck Norris is too. Like, like in your face. I I kind of feel like it's more like a. Kind of, kind of. Like, the, the, the cranky old man character. it's like it's, He's like the Samuel L. Jackson.
0: <laughs> right. <up> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the real question. Whom would you cast as Farmer Maggot? Like, who could do Sammy justice Jackson. to Farmer Maggot? Samuel L. Jackson? I think I'd probably do it. Yeah. I think that could work. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm tired I,
1: of these MFing race and mf'ing
0: Okay. Sorry. Yep. All right. I can see the cave with the pebbly floor in the foot of the Carrick from where I am sitting. So. All right. So we are. Go- so I'm going to talk about the map a little bit while we're waiting for folks. <laughs> right. Air of Numenor says you'd cast Chuck Norris as Farmer Maggot, obviously. That actually be really funny. Um, uh, OK, so. The most exciting thing, of course, about the Wells of Langflood is that up here, this is where the Eotheod was. Uh, so looking forward to seeing... Uh, I want to find... The, I'm, I'm going to be looking for the rock. I'm going to be looking for the rock that Eorl the Young's father hit his head on um, when Freyelof, uh, when he was trying to tame Freyelof. That's absolutely uh, what I'm... Uh, uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the sites I want to find up here. Um, and Fromsburg. Of course, I want to see Fromsburg. Of course, Fromm is the name of the guy who killed Scatha the Worm. Uh, so I really want to um, um, I really want to see uh, uh, I, I really want to see the whole, the, the, you know, the lair of Scatha the Worm. Uh, that's a big deal. But I, I, I want to get a feeling for, like, the ancient culture of the Rohirrim up here and to see the, the like similarities and differences. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I, that's what I'm, what's what I'm really curious about. I want to see what Grot is about. That sounds really interesting. I want to see what I... this Eagle place is about. I want to, I want and then of course, as we're getting up towards Gundabad, um, you know, uh, but you know, so and, you know, to kind of see the different kind of dwarvish levels, historical levels going on to see the, um, uh, you know, again, the, like the, the, the human stuff. Um, there should be some Angmarim stuff as well, because, of course, the Rohirrim, well, the proto-Rohirrim originally moved up here um, when, uh, after the Ang- after the Witch King is overthrown. Right when the Witch King is overthrown and the Kingdom of Angmar, which did extend over here on this side of the mountains, we are told, or at least it's suggested, um, then uh, we um, uh, we were uh, uh, that's when that's when the Rohirrim, or the Proto Rohirrim, moved up here. Um, so I'll be really interested to see any kind of evidence of that. So these are the these are the various arch. Hey, folks are here. I'm done looking at the map. Did you make it? Is Linus here? I don't have floating names on. Okay. All right. So everybody's here? All right. We are
1: all assembled.
0: We're all assembled. Fantastic. So that's what I'm looking forward to. That's why I want to go to the Wells of Langflood. And it's just going to be a fun adventure. I'm not so many levels down that the deer and the squirrels will probably come after me, right? I'm only 10 levels under. It's not the end of the world. They
1: get get a little feisty at 10. Yep it's red or purple that's uh it's not a happy time for the underbrush yeah well he won't see them because he's got nameplates turned off yeah probably
0: uh what the names yeah 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 no worries no worries okay and there we have our first piece of architecture we're still not there yet i think i see the boundary i smell it coming going to cross over any second. I felt sure it was in this stretch. Almost. Not quite. Hmm. Man, I'm going to make it all the way to the bottom of this hill?
1: Oh, yeah, this what? is where it was blocked there's, off. The there's floor. a collar here.
0: oh Hang
1: no, on. Black Arrow Century.
0: Oh dear. A no, big old spiked doors. collar. A strange yeah. collar that looks as if it was made by a dwarf. Hmm. Well, if I were questing, I would be more interested in that. Maybe it was yeah. made by a dwarf, but what was it made for? Good grief. I to,
1: yeah, I, I don't think that's typical jewelry among dwarves.
0: No? Not even any dwarves have necks of that size. A horse mm-hmm. could wear it. Uh, So a goat, maybe? Is it a goat Orc. collar? Or
1: collar.
0: Warg collar? A warg collar? It could be have, mm-hmm. wargs have worgs have We've had warg
1: collar quests before.
0: We time. sure have. Those are, those are of great antiquity. All the way back to the Shire. Okay, here we are. And look, see there, that goat and I are getting along perfectly well. Neither <laughs> one of these goats are coming for me, so all is well. Okay, here we are. Now, let's see. I don't want to invade the goat's personal space necessarily. Oh. Whoa. Oh. A statue.
1: Big statue.
0: Big dwarf statue. Another dwarf bridge. Let me. I want to.
1: There's a warg down there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there is. Is that fox chasing me like he means to do me harm? No. See, just minding his own it's business.
1: going to bite your toes. Like well, you know, I wouldn't.
0: <laughs> okay, so here's that bridge we were seeing from the Carrick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's got some pretty crappy reconstruction on
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. That so, is not dwarf big. No. No, no dwarf would do that, I don't think. So I would probably
1: ex- going to cut all the trees down. I, I
0: would expect it, like if it were orcs that did it, for it to be a little spikier is that humans? I, I I mean orcs would be my first guess. No decorative yeah, or, or,
1: skulls? Or just sort of hillmen.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: This this was a lowest contractor job here.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But okay, so but the bridge itself, on the one hand it's it's like the other bridge which we can't see anymore from here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The arch is very similar to the other one, though I'm trying to see if it matches up in the middle. I think it does. Um, yeah, this one it does. This one it does, yeah. I think. It's very similar, though you notice how much smaller it is. We've got this flight of stairs going down. Like, you do put yeah. a flight of stairs in a bridge that you're going to be crossing with, like, pack mules and stuff. I mean, this looks like a footbridge, a dwarvish footbridge.
1: Yeah, it does. It does look like a footbridge. Because this of the is narrower part of the river, I think. That's definitely why it's smaller.
0: Yeah, yeah. It is. It's a, it's a much smaller bridge, um, much lower bridge, much shorter bridge. Um,
1: I, I think if you had the big wagons, you would have to go downriver to get the big, go to big bridge.
0: I think so. Yeah, I mean, you obviously couldn't haul wagons down the stairs. I mean, stairs are really weird for that reason. Yeah. I mean, like, why would you, I mean, one of the main reasons to put a bridge across a river is to be able to take wagons and such across it, but... Mm-hmm. You know, a flight of stairs will uh, uh, really uh, do a job on your wagons. Um, yeah. So it's clearly not a trade route, but of course they might have been thinking, um, you know, they had a trade route just south of here, so this might be a sort of smaller local bridge. Obviously, the
1: behind it is
0: the building, the one you mean with the, the different color stone.
1: The different, yeah, the one with the tan, tan, rosy stem. Yeah, I'm
0: not sure. I mean, I look forward to getting over there. Um, we'll do that at some point.
1: But I think that the, the purpose of that building will dictate what this bridge is.
0: Yeah, maybe so. Like a
1: way station or some sort of. And travelers. of course, I'll want
0: to see what's up in, behind it. Mm-hmm. But of course, I made a rash vow, which is that we should get to the first stable master. And if we go (laughs) over there, we'll never do that. So we'll come back. We'll come back. We'll come back and we'll explore this bridge more. In the meantime, let's just do an initial overview of the land here. So we have a Dwarvish footpath um, with... No, no, I'm not going to get any closer to it because... Lots of wargs. Yep, there are lots of wargs in here, no problem. Lots of perfectly Pacific goats. Um... Friendly and cheerful goats. Much more rugged land up here.
1: It's much scrubbier.
0: Yeah, much.
1: There's gorse and heather all over the place.
0: Okay, so now we come straight up to this intersection in the road. So this path into this town, whose name I already forget, is... Like an old continuation of the path across the bridge, so this seems to be a likely, a sort of a probable sort of destination or near destination.
1: Although it doesn't have the hidden paving stones that we saw on the other dwarven road.
0: Yeah, but I don't see them. This does it's look much more. Yeah.
1: empty gravel footpath. Yep.
0: Yeah, just a just a beaten path with uh, over stony ground, mm-hmm. basically. And I'm not seeing any sign of any other building or ruins.
1: Yeah, it's like there was a big dwarven bridge and now there's just nothing here.
0: Exactly. I've been scanning for ruins and I'm trying to so, be a good boy and <laughs> watch out for mobs was like, too. The
1: like last stop for gas kind of thing.
0: <laughs> right. I guess. I guess.
1: Your last chance at beautiful bearded civilization. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so here we're fording. What are we fording? We're fording, all right, this little river that comes down. Over there, all right. Sorry, just keeping keeping my eye on the map as well, so I can see. Cause I uh, have never been here before, and of course, this yeah. is area that we don't know at all from the from the books, you know. So I have mm-hmm. no uh, I have no previous descriptions to fall back on. Kind of cool. Yeah, we do get we're getting stumps, so we clearly have active. Uh,
1: yeah I keep getting stopped on rocks that are hidden
0: in the brush okay now we're on a path through this light forest and here's a palisade a wooden palisade on a hilltop and some ruins finally yeah very old ruins it's an arc yeah oh this is a
1: mounted enemies
0: area yeah that's even more fun
1: Hmm. Yeah, especially with all
0: the rocks and a stone wall. Okay. Well, we'll have to explore here. Okay, Bjorning dudes, who are neither invisible nor assaulting me, so that's nice. They fixed that. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And a stable master. Okay. All right. Okay, and there's a town to be looked around, but Mm -hmm. I'll do that in more... Hey, and let's see, now, moment of truth, can I bind the milestone? I can! Woohoo! Binding the milestone. Yes. Oh, yeah. All right, so Limlock. Limlock. We can start at Limlock next time, and what a lovely town it looks like, too it won't be raining next time. Yeah, it's a dark and rainy night. This is not a good night for sightseeing anyway.
1: Yeah.
0: Ignoring for a moment the actual town that surrounds us. I'm just looking to see more r- ruins. So there's another fragment of wall down there. I'm trying to see if I can get Oh, there's the the horse thing in the ground. The white mare. Yeah, there's the white mare. Okay, oh, let's see. There's another one over here, right? If you look over here.
1: Oh, I see what you mean. It's carved in the it's carved in the ground in, in like the ground. Chocolate. Yes, yes. Just like that famous one in England.
0: Exactly. Yeah, we were talking about that when we were on the Carrick. They were wondering, wondering if we could see it oh. from up in the in the Eagle's eyrie but we couldn't. Cool. All right, I was trying oh, to I decide. Could, yeah. No, I don't think that uh, this. St- I was wondering if this stone might be, but I don't think it is. Hang on, I'm, I'm ditching my horse here. Beautiful. Nobody wants the horse.
1: I used that as inspiration for Rohirric armor when I was asked to do a commission.
0: Oh, cool. Can we climb up? Can we come? Oh, do we, we just come around from here? Okay. Oh yeah, there's the white mare. Cool. That's awesome. That's very nice.
1: Yeah. Very
0: picturesque. That's excellent. And, okay, there's the river. I don't see from here more ruins. Sorry, I'm just before we look at the town that is um kind of looking around to see those um those ruins that we saw were kind of uh, yeah,
1: we just saw the Aring else
0: exactly. just trying to see if there's any fragments. I'm not seeing any. Which is not shocking. I mean, we've got stone buildings here, so, you know. That
1: was a pretty old stone arc. We've seen a lot of ruins, and that one was particularly decrepit.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's a very, very old one. And, of course, the people... There we go. There we go. This is just what I was looking for.
1: A single window.
0: (laughs) Right, yeah. They left it because it has a gap in the defenses, so they're like, here's a pre-built gap in the defenses. Let's just retain that. Um... Right, and there's the, there's an arch down the hill there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. Alright. Well, we'll think a little bit more about what this means and who used to live here and then we'll think about who's living here now. So we'll probably start in Limlock next time and then we'll move down back to the bridge and explore more around the bridge. Uh, and... And then we'll work back out around from here. Awesome. Okay. See, look at that. That was totally uneventful. Not a problem. I'm I'm
1: kind of shocked, actually.
0: I knew that I could rely upon our trusty guards here. So this is all good. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, and uh, happy Easter uh, and Passover to those who celebrate. Yes,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. We're right in the midst of the season here. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool, and um, and be on the lookout for MythMood updates and the registration forms and everything. So, we're gonna—I am so excited, so excited. MythMoot. I—I'm I, really
1: hoping I can make it. I'm hoping I get my jabs and I can show up there in person. And, yeah. Uh, we'll still we'll, for the room of requirement, and uh, we'll still man the Discord page. We'll keep that open for all the people on the web. And yeah, yeah. All the videos and let's plays and stuff like that it'll be it'll be fun maybe we can even do a movie showing if the the streaming services to let that happen on discord
0: yeah I actually think that uh, the room of requirement will be a really not easy in the sense of trivial but it will be uh, a really a really fun and rewarding place to be doing hybrid stuff to be kind of connecting people who are there with people who are attending remotely yeah it'll be fun
1: if internet allowing
0: (laughs) internet allowing and yes, we will we will definitely hope for the best there. We should be able to we should be able to make that happen. But, but um, all right.
1: I'm excited.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thanks everybody for joining us tonight and I will see you guys next week. Thanks everybody.